episode 45 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to decide which games you haven't played in 18 months that really don't need to stay in your collection. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about culling your collection. First, we discuss a few games we've played recently, like The Ravens of Three Sahashri, Sakatsu, and Muse. Then, we discuss the art of culling. We share how we cull, or if we do at all, and we share some culling strategies from our listeners. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word cull. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie, Cassidy, and me, Crystal. Ambie, I see you've been playing something recently that I have a great deal of interest in, so I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, so I've been playing The Ravens of Three Sahashri with my husband, Toby. The Ravens of Three Sahashri is a two-player cooperative card game, and it's asymmetrical. The designer is Kuro, and the artists are Han Bagu, Rapan, and Romanu, and it's published by Manifest Destiny and Osprey Games. Um, Manifest Destiny was in Japanese, and Osprey Games is English, second edition. The game lasts about 30 to 45 minutes, and The Ravens of Three Sahashri has really beautiful art, I think, and the cards are big. It's anime-style art with black and white images with colored overlays, so I think it's really pretty on the cards. But the gameplay is there's five colors on the cards, and the cards are numbered one to five. So one player is Ren, who's a girl who lost her memory and is asleep or in a coma or something, so you can't talk to each other. And the other player is Feth, who is her friend and trying to help restore her memories and wake her up. So Ren has four secret cards in four rows that represent her heart, and she's trying to add cards to the rows and get the numbers to add up to seven, 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 and five. And there's also face-up cards on the table. And after Ren's rows are complete, the face-up cards have to only have colors that are in her heart, which are the cards she started with. And the fifth player is the one who plays the cards at the table, and he doesn't know what cards are in his heart. So all Ren can do is like remove a card from the middle each turn and put them in her area. And Feth has to figure out what that means and what colors he wants to leave in there. Also, the name of the game, The Ravens of Three Sahashri, there's raven cards that come out and eat all the cards of a color if you discard them. So you can't have too many cards out. So the ravens oh. are scary. <laughs> And, and hungry. I mean, yeah. ravens are generally scary. Like, you don't ever go, oh, look, a raven. <laughs> <laughs> that, that should be a game, though, the cute ravens. But, okay. There's a way to get rid of ravens, but not permanently, because there's multiple rounds. So you can get rid of a raven if if the fifth player gets a block of the same color of cards to add up to seven. And it's kind of difficult because there's a bunch of placement rules he has to follow. But it's really exciting when he managed to do it. But then they come back the next round. You have to have three rounds of the game to win. I really like Ravens of Three Sahashri. I like the art, and I like how it's completely asymmetrical, which I don't think I've had in a two-player cooperative game before. But it's also challenging to play both parts, and I like both. So the fifth player, it's like a puzzle in placing the cards on the table and trying to make sure there's enough options for the Ren player to get but also trying to limit the number of colors to the ones that are in her heart that you don't know. And the Ren player is challenging trying to signal which cards are in your heart, and it's interesting trying to communicate through just the cards that you're removing. So Toby and I have played a couple of times, switching off roles each time, and we've won once so far. <laughs> After you win, there's also three envelopes that you open that add rules to it and make it a lot harder. But we're going to try to win again with the roles switched before we 
do the new rules because it looks a lot harder. (laughs) (laughs) Games like this always intrigue me, but I I find that it's tough for me to not cheat. And Mm -hmm. obviously, like, I'm a rule abiding person. But when it comes to limiting how I can communicate, I tend to have issues kind of like when we discussed Mm -hmm. Magic Maze a few episodes ago, like Mm -hmm. I am I find it very difficult to not point or gesture or make a noise with my mouth to (laughs) imply a thing. And I think I may have the same issues in a game like that. Like, Mm -hmm. I tend to give tells, as it were, regarding what my thoughts and motivations are. But it still sounds really interesting, and I want to try it out. Yeah, and in in a non-real-time game, it's easier to not be pointing, because (laughs) you don't have the frantic part in there. Yeah. So that was the Ravens of Three Sahashri Mm -hmm. from Osprey Games. For Christmas, I got a copy of Sakatsu from my mother, which was released in 2017 and plays one to four players. Though after a handful of plays, I will say it's best with two or three, and it'll play in about 15 to 30 minutes. Sakatsu, for me, has some of the most satisfyingly clinky tiles And really, at its core, it is just a simple tile-laying game, but you can't help but, like, shake the bag that the tiles are in because it's just such a satisfying sound. The tiles are nice and heavy, and they have these beautiful, this beautiful art of birds and flowers on them. And so in Sakatsu, like I said, it's a tile-laying game. You're placing tiles and gaining points for the placement of birds next to each other. And then at the end of the game, you gain points by having flowers of the same type in a row coming from your pagoda. So each person is going to score their rows differently because the pagodas are placed on three different spots around the board. The interesting thing is the four-player game, which I actually haven't had a chance to play yet, but you play in teams Because there are only three pagodas on the board, so four people can't have their own pagoda to score off of at the end of the game. So I am interested to see how the four-player game works and also how the solo game works. Sakatsu is definitely a filler. It takes, like I said, 15-30 minutes to play, but it's lovely and just the satisfying heft and clank of the tiles just makes me want to play it all the time. That's it. That's Sakatsu. Awesome. That sounds cool. And I'm I'm similar to you. Like, the sound or the feel of things, the aesthetic of a game can really, like, mm, just make me happy. <laughs> yeah, and I'm looking at pictures of it on BGG, and it looks really Oh, it's so pretty. pretty. And the, the really interesting part, though, is you can place the bird, the tiles anywhere on the board as long as they're touching another tile. You So you can decide for somebody else's row, what flower they're getting for their end game scoring. So you can get in the way of somebody getting a larger score because the more flowers you have in that row, the more you score. I was not paying attention when my mother did this once and got a whole <laughs> row of six, which was a lot of points, and she crushed me. <laughs> nice. So we got an email a few weeks ago from Quick Simple Fun Games, and they reached out to us and asked if we would be interested in checking out a new game that they have coming out called Muse. And uh, I looked it up online and saw that the artwork was absolutely beautiful and the gameplay looked interesting. So I said, yes, please send me one. So uh, Quick Simple Fun, shout out to them. Thank you so much for sending over a copy of this game. 
Uh, Muse is a party game, and I'm going to apologize to both the designer and the publisher in advance because I'm about to make a lot of comparisons to another game that I'm sure that they get a lot, but I'm only doing it for the purposes of kind of explaining it more clearly. Basically, this game is not Dixit, but if you've played Dixit, you'll, you'll be very familiar with some of the aspects of this game. Uh, in some good ways. So the cards are kind of uh, tarot-sized cards with really pretty, abstract, kind of odd artwork, just like in Dixit. Similarly to Dixit, it is a game involved where you're giving clues to try and guess, get people to guess one of a series of cards. But here's where things get a little bit different. Uh, it's a team-based game. You can technically play cooperatively with two or three people, but that's not the ideal play. Uh, ideally, you want four or more people on any number of teams. I've only played it with one team versus another thus far. But what you're doing is the uh, whoever is not the active team, they will draw six of the artwork big tarot cards from the deck, and they will draw two inspiration cards from a separate deck. And then they will choose one of the inspiration cards and one of the cards with artwork on it, and they will pass those over to the other team's muse, whoever has been selected as the muse for that round. That player will then look at the artwork and the inspiration card and be required to give their team a clue that will hopefully lead them to the card with the artwork on it. But they don't get to look at the other five cards that are going to be shown to their teammates before they give the clue. So whereas in Dixit, everything was chosen with a specific clue in mind, in Muse, you only get to make up a clue based on a single card. And the inspiration cards are definitely different from Dixit in that they force you to do some weird stuff to give a clue. So just as an example, a few of the ones in the game are name a non-fictional holiday or make a sound effect without using any words. So you're gonna be shown this picture with like all this beautiful weird artwork on it and then be told, you know, make make a sound effect. <laughs> and so that's what you have to do. Then all, then all your card and the other five cards get shuffled up and laid out on the table and your team has to guess which of the cards was the one that you were shown. And it is hilarious. It is sometimes really easy to guess, and it's sometimes really difficult. And there's a lot of meta involved because, like, sometimes you'll they'll look at all the cards laid out and you'll be like, well, clearly with this clue and that card, like, they wouldn't have given them those two together. Or would they? Because you can kind of get into people's heads. It's very interesting. And those meta strategies came out almost immediately when we were playing a good number of the people I was playing this game with most recently have played Dixit before. And my friend Elissa uh, said, and I quote, this has all of the parts of Dixit I love and none of the parts of Dixit I don't. And my friend Kathy also said, I, almost like two round, only two rounds in, she was like, I immediately like this more than Dixit. And I have to agree, I love Dixit. I think it's a great game. And I might be cannibalizing some of my Dixit cards to add content to my Muse <laughs> cards, because uh, I think the cards could be interchangeable in both games. But Muse is fun in a way that I didn't necessarily expect. And I think it's a little bit more gamery than Dixit. And that's not to say it's not approachable, but it's there's a little bit more depth to it. And I think it's really, really fun. It was So it's by Quick Simple Fun Games. It is designed by Jordan Sorensen, and the artwork is by 
Andre Garcia, Kristen Plesko, and I apologize for the name I'm about to butcher, Apolline Etienne. It is awesome, and it is hitting retail stores literally this week. So I would highly recommend, if you like Dixit and you're looking for something kind of new and interesting, I would definitely say give Muse a look. Yeah, it looks really fun. I, I, I definitely want to try it. I will bring it to BlitzCon with me and <laughs> we can play it. Because as <laughs> of like the... three weeks. Yeah, I know. Oh it's gosh. like so soon. Oh, yeah. And if you're listening to this and want to come to BlitzCon, tickets are still on sale at boardgameblitz.com slash con. <laughs> yes. And you guys, everyone, everyone should come. It is an, a really good time and I'm very much looking forward to it. As 2018 gets up and running, like we're now heading into February, we had some people reach out to us both through our feedback survey a couple of months ago and through our Slack channel, which all of our patrons have access to. Uh, but they all were kind of saying, hey, could you guys talk about how you cull your collection or what you do when you cull your collection and kind of give us some tips and advice in that regard. And we said that that was a really good, this is a good time for that kind of a, <laughs> an episode, you know, new year, new everything, spring is coming soon. I would love to hear your all's thoughts on this first, because I think there's a good chance that both of you are better at this than I am. So what do you all do when you need to call your collection? Uh, Toby and I try to keep it to games we play. And right now our collection is at about 150 games. So we try to keep it around there. I think it used to be around 100, but then we got a bunch of small box games that don't really take up any space, so they don't really count. <laughs> but, but we have a, diff a couple of different things we do. We used to do a bunch of math trades. Uh, once we did a shipping math trade, and that was kind of expensive because the amount of money it took to ship the game was about the same as just the, the game itself. So we ended up just doing no ship math trades at conventions which is a great way to get new games that you can try out but it doesn't actually reduce the size of your collection since you're trading a game for another game and a lot of those games ended up back on the trade pile again the next year so we haven't done a math trade in a while toby's actually better at getting rid of stuff than me i <laughs> i like keeping things and, <laughs> and so it's good that I have Toby around because he like gets the games he's like okay we're gonna get rid of this we can sell it so he's sold some games through BGG and we also have a annual birthday convention for Toby called T-Con in December and we you all just like calling there. things conventions when they aren't yes convention in quotes for this one but yeah it's it's a full day of board gaming at our house and we had like 18 games that we raffled off and everyone that attended got a game. So that's a way that we get rid of games that we don't play. It's not necessarily <laughs> games we don't like. Like we got rid of Captain Sonar, even though we really like it, because we haven't been able to play it. So. Here, friends, take all our garbage games. <laughs> that's what no, I was I just about to say. Like, here, thanks for coming to Toby's birthday. Have some garbage. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want these anymore. Here, you take them. <laughs> no, we no. Captain Sonar is an excellent game. I totally get why it was better in somebody else's home. Yeah. So, so I'm hoping that people get to play them. I have guidelines that I wish I would use to call my collection. <laughs> 
However, I pull all the games out that I haven't played in a year or so, and or I haven't even read the rules for since I bought it. And I look at them and I say to myself, you know, I still have room on my shelves. I don't really need to get rid of these yet. They can <laughs> hang out for a little while longer. I'll reevaluate next year. I've had Last Will on my shelf for like three years. So, so I've this played is the it opposite once. of what what we're supposed to answer, right? So this is called this is now Kohler's Anonymous. Uh, hello, this her is name now is, her name is Cassidy, my... and she has a uh, game collecting problem. However, don't worry, Cassidy. Um, I'm at the meeting with you. I'll get, get to that in a minute. Recently, I I did unload two games that I haven't played in a while to my local tabletop cafe that I go to every single week. So mm. if I ever want to play those games, they're still available to me. <laughs> I think that's a really good point. Yeah, and we mentioned that in our episode about um, charitable things that you can do for the community. Mm-hmm. If you are having trouble letting go of a game, but you have either a board game cafe or a library near you that you could donate the games to that you know would make use of them, that's perfect because you're doing a good thing you're clearing out your collection, and you still have access to those games <laughs> just in case. So it's win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of 2017, actually, I did sell quite a few through my local board game group because we're over a thousand members on Facebook. So somebody, somebody out there in that group might want a copy of my game. <laughs> I have technically never culled my own collection. I'm just now, I think I'm heading toward the 200 mark but that is including expansions so i'm probably closer to like 150 or 170 like that range i feel that's where i am too honestly to me it doesn't feel like too much Uh, i have a large house and i have lots of space to put things but now that it has filled up a single five by five calax it kind of made me realize that like when I was trying to find places for specific games on the shelf, I wanted to put like the games I love, you know, kind of more prominently in the middle and up at the top. And so I kept moving certain games down to the bottom row. And I, Dixit is actually a really good example of this. Dixit is a game I enjoy playing. I have no issues with. I do think there would be circumstances where I would want to be able to pull it out, but I haven't pulled it out in a really long time. And I don't, necessarily need to own it anymore and those are the games that i feel like i should possibly be letting go of but it's hard and i just keep acquiring new games and i'm definitely not to the point where i want to do a one in one out situation like tom vassal of the dice tower does but i still feel like i should be i've gotten better about buying games like i don't buy everything sight unseen anymore mm-hmm. not buying everything is a good way to also keep your collection down it serves a similar purpose to culling so that helps. yeah if you're if you're buying things more thoughtfully then yeah. you'll have potentially less stuff that would be cullable in mm-hmm. the future i don't know if that's a word but i'm calling it a word <laughs> for so for when i got rid of my some games i think i got rid of 30 games in 2017 total some of them were expansions and stuff but um, when I did that, I actually made a spreadsheet of all the games I own by their primary mechanic. So I had all tile laying games in a group together, and there were like 12 of them. And I'm sitting here going, do I really need 12 <laughs> tile laying yeah. games? Yes. How different are these? <laughs> Pretty different. <laughs> 
say, yes, you do need them all. (laughs) I did get rid of a few. Games like Carcassonne, though, I'm never going to get rid of because it was one of the first ones that really got me into the hobby, so. And that actually kind of is a good segue into, we may not be great at calling, but some of our community members and <laughs> listeners are and provided some really good information. We uh, we put a call out a few weeks ago on our Board Game Geek Guild and our Instagram page asking people uh, how and why they call their collection, and we got some great responses. So we're going to share a few of those with you all, and hopefully it'll be more helpful than us just sitting here saying we hoard our board games. <laughs> board hoarders. That's the new name of this podcast, apparently. So the crafty players on Instagram said, I do call my collection from time to time. There's no specific trigger for it, just when it feels right. Though usually I keep my collection between 50 and 75 games. When I call, I use the Marie Kondo method. If I'm not excited or eager to play the game, if it doesn't immediately trigger positive feelings, it's on the trade pile. Is that the Japanese thing? Yeah, I, yeah. that's the... Yeah, the, yeah, if it doesn't bring you joy when you immediately mm-hmm. see it. I've actually never put that into... I've put that into uh, practice with my clothes before, but not my games. I kind of would be afraid to do it with my games. <laughs> but yeah, I guess that's a good way to decide if you want to keep a game or not. Yeah. Moderator Chris shared his calling questions or how he calls his collection with us on BGG. This is actually how I would like to call my collection. And these are things that I ask myself every year when I consider (laughs) calling my collection. But then I get all weepy and sad about getting rid of my games because I don't know why. Anyway, Chris says these are the three questions that he asks himself about his collection each year. Have I played this in the last 12 months? Am I likely to play this in the next 12 months? Do I have a sentimental attachment to this game? As in, there are some games which may never come off the shelf again, but I have enough warm and fuzzy memories of them to let them stick around. If the answer to all three of these questions is no, I put the game on the chopping block. Then, my wife examines all the games on their way to oblivion and rescues a few she'd like to keep around. <laughs> Any games that fail this final test are used to trade, sell, or raise money for charity. That's good. This is exactly what I've thought about <laughs> doing every year, and I just never, never, never can. Yeah, my problem is that I answer yes to the questions when I should be answering no. <laughs> like the question of, am I going to play this in yeah. the next 12 months? Of course I'm going to yeah. play this in the next year, obviously. And Cut then 12 months <laughs> later with a layer of dust on top of the game. <laughs> yeah, th- this has happened for me, and then... But yeah, to- Toby answers no to everything for like most of the games, and I'm like, no, uh, we're gonna play it again. <laughs> He's like, are you sure? <laughs> I'm like, uh, no, you can't get rid of this 20th tile lay game we have. <laughs> so I found a uh, a like-minded person in our BGG guild, uh, user the Mister Sean. He says, I am a terrible, no good, very bad color. And as soon as I read that, I was like, oh yeah, we're we're like-minded. He says, as a member of the thrifting guild here on BGG, I participate in some sharing activities throughout the year that allow me to send a pile of games to others. The downside is that in return, I get their (laughs) pile of games sent to me. (laughs) I am also fortunate to have a large game room, many shelves, and an understanding wife. So even with a very large collection, I have not needed to do any serious culling yet. And I think Mm -hmm. that's probably similar for a lot of people. Um, Because if you're in a small space... I think you learn how to cull 
more quickly because you have to out of necessity. Whereas if you're like me and you have space to put things, there's less motivation to get rid of stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I feel you on that, the Mr. Sean. Okay, back on Instagram, Board Games and Tea with Anna said, First, I donated some games to the school where I teach and run a board game club. Then I put up a few on eBay. Now my plan is to create some generously lopsided BGG trades to try to land a few Grail games while at the same time gaining shelf space. We were talking about before donating games to like a library, but Mm -hmm. she does it to a school, which is cool. Yeah. And then doing BGG trades, so I guess a lot of trades for one game Mm -hmm. instead of doing one for one. So you actually do get rid of some games. (laughs) I need to do that. I desperately want a copy of Russian Railroads. (laughs) Also, Matt sold a couple of ours, or his, I guess, they, they since he purchased them on eBay recently. Mm-hmm. They made, like, crazy money. Lizzie from BGG told us, We had a big call fostering scheme for our games when we moved onto our narrow boat. I just have to take a minute. She moved onto a boat. And I'm kind of jelly and want to live on a boat. Lizzie, you're living the dream and we salute you. That's awesome that you're on a boat. (laughs) So she says we were moved onto a narrow boat because she is only we, so we couldn't fit all of our games in. I usually think about a call when there's a math trade or I'm going somewhere with a with a bring and buy, though I guess neither of those necessarily reduce the number of games so much as just change which ends you have. And our last comment that we will read is from Jesse Metcalf on Board Game Geek. So he actually commented on what moderator Chris had already said, saying that he echoed thinking that was a great method for deciding what to trade or sell. And he added that he constantly curates his game collection, including his RPGs, video games, and etc. He said he realized his desire to play games often dwarfed his ability to do so. So he was ending up with games in his collection that he really wants to play, but won't because of time or player constraints. So he uses Facebook, some board game buy-sell trade groups there. He's also posted stuff on Craigslist and had a little bit of success selling games there. And then he said there are some friendly local game stores that he's done game trades at as well. And then he makes another comment that kind of rung true with me. He says, I wish I could feel more comfortable with the math trades on BGG. I look at the online want list generator and Abecorn and they seem very user unfriendly to me. If someone wants to take the time to teach me how to use these, especially in conjunction with forum posts, I would appreciate it. And I'm kind of in a similar boat, Jesse. Math trades seem like a really cool, good idea. And I've looked at them and I I recognize how they work in abstract, but actually getting into them and utilizing them online has kind of been intimidating for me. So I've never done it before. I've done a few, as I mentioned before. I've also organized some. Uh, I haven't used Abecorn, but I've used the online want list generator. So it is kind of unintuitive looking in the interfaces. kind of ugly but it works pretty well and if you need any help i could help awesome there, there's also a lot of threads on how to use it that might be helpful but it's a maybe, lot of reading so. maybe we could do the most boring twitch stream ever and we could just <laughs> have you teach, teach me people how to do math how trades. to do math trades live on twitch i honestly think wow. like i think we people may get watch. some interest in a video like that truthfully <laughs> i i'd be curious people tell me i mean i was half joking but if people think that that's something that genuinely <laughs> might get some interest let us know <laughs> Maybe not a live stream, but maybe just like a how-to video. Yeah, nobody wants to watch Crystal try and learn something complicated live. 
this whole conversation just gave me an idea about talking to the tabletop cafe that I go to all the time about doing like a flea market sort Heck of yeah. thing. Yeah. That could be fun. Yeah, a lot of places do flea markets. I haven't actually been to one, but Victory Point Cafe, which is a board game cafe in the East Bay, which is kind of far from me, but kind of close. No, no. Anyway, <laughs> it's too far for me to go to their flea market, basically. But they have a flea market once in a while. And I know that some some stores do the thing where you, instead of just people coming in and exchanging cash, they'll come mm-hmm. in and they'll pay the game store for the game that they're purchasing from the other person. And then they'll give that other person's store credit for like their retail section mm-hmm. or food and drinks or whatever. So that way it benefits the game store as yeah, well. Yeah, I'd wanna, I would yeah. want to make it benefit them, obviously. I wouldn't want them to just be like a house for everybody to trade their <laughs> yeah. games. Because that'd be terrible (laughs) it's a nice service to offer but yeah like figuring out a way to make it tangible of course then if you get store credit you're just going to buy more games so (laughs) yeah (laughs) well honestly there i just spend it on food and drink since i'm there every week there you go personally anyway so we would love to hear from more of you if you have methods that we haven't discussed here about how to cull a collection or suggestions for us about how to get better at culling our collections (laughs) until then we'll be at the board gamers Hoarders Anonymous meetings. Board board Horde Anonymous. (laughs) The Board Horde Anonymous meetings. Hello, my name is Crystal and I am a board game hoarder. For this week's etymology segment, we're going to look at the origins of the word cull in its verb form. The English word cull came about in the early 14th century when it meant choose, select, pick, or collect and gather the best things from a number or quantity, especially with reference to literary selections. It can be traced back to the old French coyer, which meant collect, gather, pluck, or select, as well as the Latin word, which I'm about to butcher the pronunciation of, collerge which meant gather together or collect. That word also forms the roots of the word collect in English, which was used in its definition, which gets into that whole circular thing that I've discussed before that I don't get, but you know. While I may be bad at culling my game collection, and perhaps some of you are too, maybe understanding the history of the word cull can inspire us all to prune out games that don't belong anymore. We have an important announcement for all of you Blitzketeers out there, and it is not a happy one, but it is not necessarily sad either. It's, uh, we are, some changes are going to be made to the show, and I am going to let Cassidy explain a little bit more to you uh, what that is. That's me, I'm Cassidy. So really what it is, is Cassidy's leaving the show as a regular contributor. This was absolutely not an easy decision, and I made pros and cons lists, and I wrote things down, and I talked to a lot of people before making this decision, but I will be stepping back as a regular contributor so I can spend more time with my family. This does not mean you're rid of me, because I am still on Twitter at Noah Jane, I'm still going to be on the BGG Guild, and I will still be on our Patreon Slack channel, and I'm sure if Chris and Ambie have anything to say about it, I will be back for something fun in the future. I just will not be here as a regular member anymore. But again, that doesn't mean you're rid of me because I'm still on the internet and you just got to deal with it. I have had a wonderful time working with these ladies and I really can't wait to see what they do with the show in the future. Sorry, everybody. I love you. Yeah, we 
I'm speaking for myself, I uh, recognize that this is something that you need to do and that I support you 100% in that. And you will always be a founding Blitzketeer and mm-hmm. you will always be a host of this show, whether you are actively on each episode or not. And you are always welcome to come back anytime you want. So mm-hmm. literally just message us and be like, I want to record something. <laughs> Uh, even if that was a, like a little segment that you record on your own and send over to us to put into the episode, you know, if you can't get together yeah. with us, but you know, you've got a little one at home and you're busy and life gets in the way sometimes. And I think that a lot of the people that listen to this show are also content creators and podcasters. And they're probably all thinking, yeah, that makes sense. It's really, <laughs> really hard to fit all of this stuff in. Uh, podcasting is a labor of love. And sometimes one of your other loves, like your family, just has to take precedence. So Yeah. And I think everyone listening knows that like family is super important too. (laughs) One would hope. (laughs) So we love you and Mm -hmm. you will be very, very missed. To anyone listening and wondering what that means for us going forward, uh, it doesn't mean much other than Cassidy leaving. Ambie and I are going to take the reins and host the show by ourselves for now. And we aren't quite sure what other things that will mean for us going forward. Some people might ask, well, are you going to bring on a new third host? Or are you going to have more guests on the show? Or is the format going to change? And the answer to all of those questions at this point is we don't know. So we're going to kind of try and keep the status quo for now. And we'll see what happens going forward. But uh, in my mind, Cassidy is not replaceable, particularly not immediately replaceable. And so we're just going to keep on keeping on, as it were. And we hope that you all are willing to stick through with us uh, as we go through this period of change. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, to get links to our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. If you enjoy roll and write games and want to have fun feeding an adorable pig named Pip, make sure to check out Harvest Dice. Available in stores everywhere and on Gray Fox's website. Gray Fox Games, quality games, cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to show us a little love, you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. Just head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. Our patrons get a lot of benefits, including access to our private Slack channel where you can chat with us directly anytime. And I'll still be there. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Check out the other shows in the network by visiting dicetowernetwork.com. Until next time, may your dice rolls be high, your card draws be lucky, and your collection be appropriately called. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. What would do? What do you? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That'll be in bloopers. <laughs> ah, everything was going so well. <laughs>